Welcome to the Let's Talk Government podcast, a podcast that is a partnership between the Department of Criminal Justice and the Department of Government at Minnesota State University, Mankato, located in Minnesota in the United States. I am your host, Dr. Pat Nelson, the chairperson of the Department of Criminal Justice. I want to thank you for joining us as we explore different topics related to government. Some may be surprising and some may not. So please enjoy. Welcome to episode 29 of the Let's Talk Government podcast, Body Cameras and Policing. I'm joined by Dr. Thor Dolly and Dr. John Reed from the Law Enforcement Program in the Department of Criminal Justice at Minnesota State University, Mankato. They are just starting a research project on body cameras, so I thought it'd be great to have them in as guests. So, so you know, one of the first questions we always get after an officer-involved shooting is, why wasn't there a body camera? So what would be some reasons why all agencies and all officers are not wearing body cameras? Expense is one of, one of them. Um, one of the more recent stats I saw is somewhere over two-thirds of agencies have them now. But that still means there's a lot of places that don't, and and some I think it seems to be more common in larger agencies. But um, these are multi-million-dollar projects, and just talking with a an official from one of the, our state agencies about implementing a project, it's millions of dollars, hundreds of hours of time, uh, not only just to equip them, but you also have to train people on how the, how to use them and use them properly. So. I, we get to the point where we've seen so many police videos on television from squad car cameras or body cameras. We just assume everything is being recorded, but you throw that in with technology failures and other issues that happen that the cameras are just not going to be there every time. Yeah. And I'll tell you one other thing that is uh, quite expensive is the recurring cost of the storage for uh, the video. And I, I talked to a couple police agencies about a year ago that were from larger cities, uh, and they were telling me that uh, they had calculated for a 10-hour shift in a busy division, uh, they would probably use close to a gig of storage space. And I, I think that's where uh, most of these uh, people are finding a hard time paying for that. And I think you see that some uh, in their policies because not all of them require, not all the departments require people to have their camera on all the time. It's just uh, for certain things that are occurring. And high stress events, you're asking an officer to remember to turn on a camera as they get out of a car. Uh, and then to know that it was on, but when they push the button, it was good enough. And some technology is catching up. There's now, uh, holsters where you pull, you remove your gun or taser and the camera comes on automatically. But if you don't have that, it's just one more reason that the video may not be there. You know, and when you think about small agencies, so you have agencies of two, three, or four people that are a, your whole law enforcement agency and your whole city government has maybe two computers amongst them now asking them to take on this cost and the technology could be very challenging, especially if there's not like an IT that can help them. So there are some small agencies that have gone back. I mean, they've made the purchase, but just like John was suggesting, supporting them with all the technological requirements that are required after that um, have, have proven to be too expensive. And some small agencies have just given up. 
and I'll tell you another thing also is like, uh, not only have they given up, but even some of the, 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 the more premier co companies that, that make the tools uh, have worked up deals to give the tool to, to police officers in a department, but charge for the storage that the department would have to sign a five-year contract. So that tells you a little bit about it, that uh, there must be a lot of money and cloud storage for those things. Well, that's true. And then we also have laws about how long you have to retain that data and Freedom of Information Acts. And it's not like you can just store a year. You have to store five to seven to 10 years, depending on what state you're in, which right. is a huge amount. That's how they catch you, right? They give you the body camera for free, but you have to sign the contract that goes with it, right? Right. I was talking with one uh, former coworker who was a chief of police, and that agency has now just recently started using body cameras. But prior to going into that project, he, they uh, estimated they would need one full-time person whose job was to do nothing other than manage the, the body camera footage. So storing it, redacting it when requests are made, um, all of the support services. And this is a, somebody that's got, it's, it's not, it's, you know, not talking about a minimum wage job. This is somebody who's got techni technical training that's not cheap. So in addition of all the cloud storage and all the vendor payments, there was additional staff requirements just to um, do the more sort of manual labor lifting when it comes to operating a, a camera system. Well, I know you both are starting a project here, so you've already started to do some research, but you know, the initial premise behind body cameras is it would monitor police behavior. So what are you guys finding as you're starting to delve into this project? Is it actually doing that? Is it monitoring behavior? Is it giving supervisors the ability to monitor behavior? really depends on the agency. Some of the early studies were really encouraging. There were in Mesa and Rialto, Mesa, Arizona, Rialto, California. They saw an officer, a reduction in officers' use of force, reductions in complaints against officers, but subsequent research hasn't always supported that. There was a more recent study in Washington, D.C., where they took a thousand officers, equipped them with body cameras, and, and compared them with a thousand officers who did not have them, and they found no statistically significant difference in the use of force or complaints against the officers. Now, when they looked into the agency more clear, more closely, they had gone undergone a major, I don't know, policy renovation, practice renovation, training renovation because of problems they'd had before. And they suggested that because of all of those changes that had been made, officers that were given the cameras just continued to operate as they always had. And it didn't have that type of an impact. That said, doesn't mean that they still can't be used as an accountability tool when something does go wrong. Um, but that's where policy comes in. And if, if, it's a, if it's a toothless tiger and nobody checks on the policy and to make sure officers are doing what they're supposed to do, make sure that they know occasionally somebody's going to look at the video, just randomly audit it, then it's just another thing that they're wearing that's not going to be something that they are concerned about changing their behavior, if that's even necessary. John just has a very pensive look on his face. So I was going to give him a moment, but how about if I set you up with, you know, on the flip side of it, when we introduce squad cameras and body cameras, 
we told the officers they would help exonerate you on complaints that were frivolous. So I'm going to point this towards John. Do you think the body cameras are fulfilling that role as well as protecting the officers? I, I think um, I, I, probably not as much as we first believed it. I think it will cut out a lot of, uh, you know, unnecessary complaints and so forth as far as uh, I've heard of many situations where officers are actually cleared of wrongdoing uh, due to having that body camera. Um, but one of the issues I think is um, as long as somebody is monitoring that uh, you brought up a minute ago, and that's actually what I was thinking about. Uh, you know, some of these agencies, I think it could be a tremendous training tool um, where you could have people monitoring those things and passing that information off to training. And there could be a lot of, uh, corrective action taken, uh, from what the, the old term positive discipline. Um, uh, so I think from that, uh, standpoint, it, it's important to have people do the monitoring, but you today, I was uh, looking at a news story this morning. I don't know if you all saw it from uh, Indianapolis where uh, they had uh, excessive use of force incident. And this happened, you know, a while back and they're just finding out about it uh, right now. So um, it, it obviously, I don't think people were, were watching it that much, um, you know, at, the, at that particular time, so. I think sometimes the expectation from the public might be that there's somebody watching every minute of footage that every that the agency generates is just, a, that's not practical. And so you're gonna run into situations where you find what you just described, which is an old incident. You know, even in my, I, re, I recall when we implemented squad car cameras, there was a lot of uh, concern by officers about that kind of big brother idea that somebody's looking over my shoulder all the time. And one of the things they were told was this isn't going to be a gotcha tool where we're going to go looking for trouble. Well, once the, that technology was there, then it was kind of realized this is foolish to not use the technology and start looking at code three driving or random incidents to just to see how officers are behaving. And, and sure enough, and that incidents were discovered and discipline was, a, was applied or as you just described used for training and it took a while for officers to get used to that that yes occasionally it's going to hold you accountable yes you might see yourself in video on a video in a training situation but once people got used to that i think a lot of that fear was pushed to the side but i think that's the always the hard part with any kind of new technology that perception your perceptions about something you're not familiar with or things you've just seen on television can be really concerning until you actually have the experience. Yeah. And I think the officers that really have a lot of issue uh, with what Dr. Dolly's talking about were, were in departments where this wasn't, it was implemented, but it wasn't communicated very well as far as policy and how the implementation was going to go and what uh, the videos would be used for, uh, could possibly be used for. And I think that runs in, a, uh, uh, I've talked to a number of officers from different agencies that have said, Hey, 
you know, nobody said they were going to review this. Uh, you know, they're just looking, they being administration, just uh, looking uh, to catch us doing something wrong. Uh, and I think a lot of that is communication where it didn't happen on the front end of the implementation. So what are some limitations you guys see about body cameras? Well, I think it's... <laughs> Go ahead, Thor. Uh, I was just about to say perspective, that um, it's just a perspective. I was actually just... Uh, going over some body camera footage with one of my classes and, and uh, the officers end up struggling with the person, the body, it just becomes a jumbled blur because there's a physical struggle. You can hear some of what's going on, but even then it, it's muffled by the, the struggle. And in the end, you could not honestly draw much of anything from it. Uh, it was, it was, it was on the verge of useless. Now that said, because videos everywhere, we were then able to look at different perspectives from security cameras and people that were videoing it with their, with their cell phones. And we got better perspectives then. But even with all of that, you still could not really see what was happening in the struggle. You could make guesses, but you just couldn't see. And I think that's hard for, for people to understand is it's there, but it's not a little, it's not hovering over your head all the time. It's not going to hear everything. It's not going to see everything. Yeah. And I think that a lot of that comes from TV or media. Uh, people watch it and they think that they're going to be watching uh, a motion picture uh, like you would go to the theater. Uh, and, and it's just, uh, as Thor said, the, the bodies are moving around and, and those different things. Uh, where I see that as being important though, and, and had discussions with officers when we first, uh, implemented this in Louisville was that you have all these other perspectives from like Thor said, security people with phones and everybody's got a camera today. So I think one of the big things is, uh, is we as administrators or the public can get a different perspective of exactly what the officer is seeing. And I, I think that's very important because there's been some of these um, camera events that have been uh, where the officer didn't have a camera, but people had the camera. And, and the one in particular I'm thinking about is about a gentleman getting out of the car and the officer said he had a gun, but you couldn't see the gun on the video. And then they finally got a couple witnesses to come forward that said he did have a gun um, and, and was on the tail end of one of the citizens vi uh, videos. So I, I think it's really good from that perspective. Well, and that's something I think is a very unrealistic expectation from the public that you should be able to see everything on video. When in reality, if you've spent time looking at videos, it's very difficult to see things. Um, and then the other thing is the limitation about where the body cameras worn, right? I, originally, Taser came out with like the camera on your glasses that was just like poking off the one side of your glasses. Well, that only gave you like a half of a perspective. They're worn in the middle of your body now. You don't always see what the person is seeing. So there are definitely physical limitations there. So what about some policy limitations? I mean, there's always discussion about policy on how often the cameras should be on. 
Um, and how often, or should the officers have the ability to turn it off or not? So. Well, I think, I think there are a number of, of policy limitations with this. Uh, and one, as, as you mentioned, um, you, you kind of, there's, there's two schools of thought, actually, for most of these departments. And some people will argue that that video is evidence uh, versus it should be uh, a transparent tool that we can show the public and so forth. And that's, that's argued a lot. So, you know, chiefs really got to make up their mind which direction they want to go on that, either hold as as evidence or, uh, as I think, you should go ahead and release it because it's going to end up getting released anyway uh, or you'll be forced to release it. So uh, from that perspective, I think that's important. But I think also this issue is, uh, as you're talking about, with uh, when to turn it on and, and when to turn it off, that's probably one of the, the biggest issues uh, that I've seen out there. Um, you know, and a lot of it's driven by money. A lot of it's driven by uh, we, we don't want to video everything. Um, so, you know, that's really a call for a chief uh, and to look at those recurring calls. Well, Dr. Dolly has gotten called away in the middle of our podcast. So Dr. Reed and I are just going to keep talking here. So what about the argument that officers have that they should be able to have some personal time? Like, you know, everybody needs to go to the bathroom. You don't need to have video running while you're eating, that type of thing. What do you think about that, Chief? Yeah, I I think obviously uh, I, I agree with that where you're having some personal time. And you, you got to, it's like everything else. And, and I know you've seen that, Pat, where uh, we're either at one end of the spectrum or the other end. We can never can find a middle ground. And I think, sure, for, for stuff like that, uh, I, you don't want to be following somebody into a restroom uh, and those types of things. But we, we also look, and I know that the ACLU was really concerned when these first came out, about the privacy of individuals. Uh, like we turn uh, a camera on, we go into their house, we video everything that's in there, heaven forbid, but if there's a dead body in there that's half naked, uh, you know, do we release all of that or, or not? And, and so uh, that kind of falls back to what Thor was saying about having all of that information and having the staff to redact a, a lot of the things that are private and, and those types of things. But uh, yeah, typically you, you've got to find a middle of the road uh, with any of these policies. That's true. Cause we do also have victim confidentiality. We have juveniles that will show up on the videos. And one of the issues is that most of the States do not have clear laws on how to handle law enforcement video. We have laws about releasing information and reports, but video, there's no clear statutes to guide agencies. So they're all left to make their own individual policies. Right. And I, I think and that privacy issue uh, comes up all the time mm -hmm. um, and, and about issues of that nature. Um, and like I said, ACLU's been kind of looking at that very hard 
Um, so we'll just have to see how it goes. But that's, yeah. that's one thing. You know, I, I do a lot with uh, International Association of Chiefs of Police, and we try to uh, come up with model policies that are the best. But there's a, there's a lot of difference, uh, as you well know, between an agency, uh, which the majority are of, of probably under 10 or 15 people in the United States, uh, yeah. versus an agency of 6,000 or 3,000 or, you know, even 1,000 people. So from, from funding and all those particular things. Uh, but, but I think a lot of folks are coming around to it. I think there's still some, some holdouts uh, on these cameras. Yeah. Right. Well, when it comes to issues of transparency and building community trust, camera, body camera seems to be like one of the top two or three things that everybody mentions. So that if there is something that happens, we've got some footage of it. Um, is, do you think there's any way that body cameras would be a negative in transparency and building trust um, with the community? Well, I, I, I can see if the wrong information gets out, but it, it's what people get accustomed to. And it's really like you're talking about this uniformity with rules that if we had uniformity on the police across the nation, that everybody gave it out, you know, that's going to be day gone near impossible to ever do but if you could make something like that happen because that that's another reason all these folks kind of get into this thought of what the their perception of what the video looks like uh as as we have body worn cameras longer and longer uh you know they'll and they get better and better um you know people will tend to uh you know, accept that. But it's almost like uh, when I came on, uh, you could go to court and just testify about an undercover buy. And then it got to the point where they wanted audio. And then after video came out, then they wanted video and audio. And of course, the video's gotten way better. And, and then now with body cameras, they're wanting it on every everything, you know. Right. Uh, um, so I, I think when people get a uh, get a little more used to it, you know, it won't be the issue. But one of the other bad things is, uh, or one of them that I can think of is that when we show those tapes to people or those those videos to people, uh, we will tell them, "Look, this has been redacted. This has been blocked out." And then you get into that issue that we didn't give them the original full video, that we uh, manipulated it in some fashion, uh, and not everything is there. Mm -hmm. uh, so you always have people that are going to argue that also. Yeah, and we've actually seen that in court cases where you'll, they'll release, an agency will release a video to be viewed in court, and then the court comes back and asks for the entire raw footage to right. determine that nothing was altered or excluded. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I agree, in the court, they can do that because you can protect who views it, but to just release raw footage out to the public, even if they filed a Freedom of Information Act, would be irresponsible because then the agency is liable for any victim or juvenile or somebody else's whose privacy has been compromised. So. Right. Um, one of the other things that we hear from a lot of officers is when it comes to 
for those that are like detectives, you know, you, you, you have to make a decision, are detectives going to wear these? And then you get into the issue of them talking, getting information from victims slash witnesses slash informants. Uh, and everybody will know who my informant is, or everybody will know the bad guy will know who, who the, what the witness said and retaliate against them. So you, you have all those arguments too. Uh, you know, I had never even considered about detectives and undercover work, but it may get to the point where it's expected that they wear the cameras. I mean, look at the shooting that happened in Minneapolis with the U.S. Marshals and the task force and the uproar over not having body camera footage there. But it's it's gets to be where is the line, right? Where is the line on having body cameras and their usefulness versus over videoing everything? Yeah. And, and if you if you want to kind of be analogous about it, you can think of, of the, the days when vests first came out and you had uh, body worn or, or not body worn, but uh, uh, bullet resistant vest. And then uh, administrators were, you know, the chief was saying, well, administrators are going to have to wear these, too. And you're thinking, well, I never go outside. I'm sitting behind a desk. And, you know, and, and that argument, if you recall, uh, mm-hmm. and you hear the same one on this, well, we're investigators, we don't go out and yeah, that happened, but you know, as well as I do, that any detective can get into anything just mm-hmm. like any police officer, so. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, well, we're gonna kind of wrap it up. Uh, like I said, Dr. Dolly is in the middle of a fire alarm, something going on there. So we'll wrap it up together. But so how about some closing thoughts? Why do you think there are getting to be mixed results on research? And where do you think the trend is going to be in the future with body cameras? Well, I think that uh, um, some of the stuff that I've uh, read, now there's uh, uh, no statistical significance to that, but just from, from uh talking to people, there seems to be a different attitude in different parts of the country where, where it is. Agencies that have had a lot of issues tend, tend to like those. Agencies who've never had an issue tend to say, hey, uh, we, we don't have any issues. We don't, we don't need it. And uh, it, it's only a, a matter of time. It, it's kind of like when, not if something's going to happen where you're going to need it. And you mentioned that at the front end of, of the podcast where people ask, uh, why didn't they have a body camera on? Mm-hmm. I think the public expects it more and more. Uh, I think it's going to be especially hard to argue uh, now because I think there's some monies that are going to be coming available uh, for purchasing those things. Uh, and, and people are just going to have to look at it like, Hey, um, this storage cost is, is recurring, but it's something that we're going to have to budget for. Um, and and we're going to have to do it. Yeah. Well, I agree. I I think that it's going to have to be some very um, serious discussions within agencies and their entities, cities, counties, and states on the importance of having the ability to pay for the storage and where they have to make the decision between paying for the storage and other things. So it's going to be interesting to watch in the future here. Right. And that's one of the things that Thor and I wanted to to basically do is not so 
much look at a lot of the larger agencies like have already been studied, but we wanted to take a look at smaller and mid-sized to see if there's any difference between uh, what uh, is found uh, from the large agencies in comparison. So uh, that's really the focus of, of the work that we're getting ready to do. Well, I think it's going to be really interesting because, I mean, when you look at the storage costs is equal to paying one officer for a year and having to make that decision, I think you'll get some good results. So, right. well, thank you for joining me. I always love our conversations and I will have to give Thor a hard time for bailing on us halfway through, even though it was outside of his control. So thank you, Dr. Reed. We'll talk to you later. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Government. If you have suggestions for future episode topics or other areas you'd like us to cover, please visit our website at link.mnsu.edu backslash Let's Talk Gov to submit your ideas. Join us every Tuesday for a new episode and thank you for listening.